Welcome to Scholarship Provider Coffee Talks, a podcast for funders to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we're discussing universal or common applications, creative ways to connect with donors after award selection, and communication with students. This discussion comes from a recorded webinar that was moderated by Elise Brayton. Elise has been working in the field of college access and scholarships for over 10 years. So the first voice you'll hear in this episode is Elise's, and she is joined by Weston Paul, who will occasionally chime in with questions that were submitted during the webinar. All right, let's join the conversation. So our first topic here today has to do with common or universal applications. What do you need to know or want to share about your experience or, or what you need to kind of, you know, what are those questions? I'm, I'm losing my words here. Um, let me start over. What are the questions that you have around common or universal applications? What's unclear? What ideas do you have around it? So we want to talk about this under four different um, kind of viewpoints. What is there around donors, around students, around third-party stakeholders like counselors and program managers, and around staff and board members. So what I would love is as we open up this conversation, you know, I'm really going to try to help define, you know, which of these groups we are talking about, who, what, what is the information that you need for them? Is there uh, an issue that we're trying to resolve? Is there um, you know, just some unease that we're trying to get more information so that we can give some, provide some good answers back to these groups. Um, so let's go ahead and dive right in. I'm going to be so bold and say I would love, um, I, I have a couple of my clients on the line and we have all had some of these conversations and you all have had some really amazing um, questions and things. So if you are one of my clients on the line and you know who you are, I would love for you to raise your hand and just ask one of your questions around universal application because I know that um, your questions are really um, indicative of the whole sector. I'm from the Hancock County Community Foundation. I am not one of your clients, I'm sorry to say, but I have the wonderful that, Jake. That is okay. Jake is my Jake's wonderful great. We came from um, having a common application in Smarter Select to last year not having one um, in SLM, and that was a very brutal transition for us. Um, and we are real excited about uh, going back to having one. But one of our major concerns is being able to keep the integrity of where the scholarship is coming from, um, that named fund, who those people are who were generous enough to provide the funds for those scholarship um, within that op- application process. Um, so that's that's kind of one of our our concerns. I know that it's it's probably simpler to do it without that, but it's very important to us. Absolutely, and I think that this is a topic that we hear uh, come up again and again, just in the entire space of universal applications, not just universal at Foundant. And, um, you know, it's so important to keep the those donors, um, keep their names on things. They are the ones who we want to continue to please and make them happy so that they give those dollars and do more good work. 
Um, not that that they all want their name on something, but you know, it's always nice to have that available to them. So just know that as far as how universal functions in Foundant, there are named opportunities. Every opportunity has a name within the universe. So that's definitely a piece that we can keep that, the integrity of, of what you are hoping to, to achieve. Um, can I ask you an, a follow-up question, Carol? Absolutely. Um, great. So what is it that you love about common application that you are excited to get back to? Well, the duplication of information um, <laughs> across the board, um, you know, the, the simplicity for the student and also, you know, you cannot imagine how many times I have edited those 76 um, different processes that we have because when you change one, you have to change them all. Um, and that's because we have so many different evaluators for our scholarships. They don't all go through one committee or one person. Um, so we have to be able to assign mm -hmm. them separately. And they all, so they all have to see all of that information um, that's common across all of them, you know, where they go mm -hmm. to school, what their GPA is, um, you know, that sort of thing. Absolutely, that's such a great point, keeping those committees in mind. You know, I think that was, uh, you know, one of the, the challenges with creating a universal application tool was how do we manage those committees? Because we know that they're not all going to a common committee. Um, so that's, yeah, that's really great to hear that, that you found that that was something that you were looking for and that's now something that, that will be available to you. Any other? And I will follow um, up with that and tell you that our ahead. education committee that um, did, you know, they had a lot of our scholarships evaluations were very pleased with how the evaluation process works in SLM compared to Smarter Select, where we were coming from. Um, they found it much easier to use, much more user-friendly. Um, so they were very happy with that part of it. Um, the pain was more from our end, um, you know, the back end than from a student or evaluator standpoint. Okay, great. That's good to know. And I will, I will send that a bit of information on to our dev team who did just a fantastic job creating that evaluator experience. So I will let them know that Hancock County enjoys it. That's good to know. What else about um, third party, you know, are, are any of you not using um, co common or universal applications and you're having those conversations with your communities about moving there Any or, or anything else that you want to add? Do we have any other hands up there? My name's Mariana Williamson from the Broomfield Community Foundation and we are a tiny, tiny Community Foundation in Colorado. Um, and we do not use a common or universal application. And honestly, and we, we don't have a ton of scholarships, but I'm interested in finding out more about that and kind of best practices. Yeah, so um, what have you heard about it that sounds appealing? Uh, I mean, just from what it's called, I, I don't know anything about a common or universal application. I'm I'm assuming it's similar to a common core grant application, um, and we just need to establish some consistency. 
Yeah, yeah. So um, the concept behind a common or universal application is that it's one point of entry uh, for all of your scholarship opportunities. So students complete one application um, and then if you decide to, they can fill out some supplemental questions for different opportunities that are you know, very different, need that extra something. Um, the example I always use is um, I manage a lot of agriculture scholarships um, in my area. Ag is, is kind of what we do. And so um, their application was 95% the same as everybody else's, but they had one additional essay question about the student's um, desire to pursue agriculture as a career. Um, or, or what interested them in it. So what would happen is that student would fill out the common application and then that that might enter them in for three different scholarship um, opportunities to be considered for three different ones. And then they'd have a supplemental question that if they chose to answer, they would be considered for a fourth. Um, so that's kind of the basic concept behind universal application is that it's one point of entry for students. So let's talk about donors. Many times that that work really revolves around having conversations about the benefits to students. Donors a lot of times come to us. I, I think especially in a, a community foundation world, it's really easy to um, feel that need to cater to donors. And in many cases we do. We have to kind of give them what they are asking for because they are the donor. Um, but in scholarships, something kind of unique happens, and that is that they are coming to you because they don't know how to run an effective scholarship, and they really do come asking for that structure and that guidance. Now, they may have some additional um, requirements or additional things that they want you to do, and that, of course, is a discussion there for your own foundation, but really they are coming to you looking for an expert in the field. And that's exactly what you are. You know, you are the scholarship experts for your community. And really owning that with your donor um, can be really valuable when having this particular conversation. Knowing the why behind, you know, why universal and common applications are good for students, why it's good for donors, why it's good for third-party stakeholders, and why it's good for internal administration. Knowing, having answers to these four categories can really be helpful um, as you're having conversations with any of the other people, any of the people in any of the other categories. Um, it's just kind of building that case for a universal or common application. But the the work with donors can be can be time consuming. You know, I know we have a client who did um, quite a bit of work with donors over the course of a year, really bringing them on to the idea of having a more a more communal application. That that whole idea of, of making it similar and making it easier on students and and the benefits for them. Okay, so. In just a couple of minutes, we're, we're going to wrap up universal applications. We're going to move on to our next topic. I want to give, you know, an opportunity to just get your last question there. If you were considering asking a question or considering making a statement about how you feel about this, we want to give you that opportunity to get it in there. So that window of opportunity is currently open, but it is closing. Sorry, I 
just was going to say we've had, because we transitioned to the Common App and Smarter Select several years ago, we had a whole series of donor mm -hmm. conversations then um, in order to do that. And then when we went to SLM this year, we had to have some more conversations going back away from the common, um, having the common app. So um, one of the things that was interesting, we, we kind of probed our, our living donors to find out what it is they were really looking for when they asked for things like GPA or class rank or that sort of thing. Um, you know, if they really wanted, because those GPAs especially have changed a lot in the last 20 years, at least in our area, um, with all Absolutely. the accelerated that are available, AP classes. So um, we talked to them about that, and we were able to make some determinations like, um, you know, what we really want is the top 20% of the class. You know, what we really want is whatever, the top 10 students. So then we took that to our guidance counselors for our four public high schools in the county and said, what kind of GPA is this? And so then we were able to eliminate some of the questions and make them a little more standardized when we went to SLM um, so that we could put a window of GPAs. The problem that we had was our applications open in November and the GPAs that we are looking for were not going to be available till after January 1st. Um, mm -hmm. So we could not put that in the um, um, in the eligibility quiz um, because the students were taking the eligibility quiz before their GPA for that term was available. So we had to put that uh -huh. within each, each scholarship, um, which was kind of a pain. So <laughs> anyway, but that's yeah. just and but the what I started to say was the donors seemed to be very for the most part, very receptive to having that conversation and to really understanding what it is that they are looking for and if there's a better way to report that. That is great. I think, yeah, that's just so wonderful to hear and to have that, you know, that was my experience as well. And it's great to hear that backed up within your own community. Also, I just want to give you some kudos for really leveraging your network there in your community. You know, you're talking to donors, you're pulling in counselors, um, to create something that really is uh, a great fit for your community. So I think just think that's great. So kudos on that one. All right, so let's go ahead. If we don't have anything else, I don't see any other hands raised right now. So let's go ahead, we're gonna move on to, speaking of donors, um, what are some creative ways that you are connecting with your donors after award selection. You know, we did a webinar last week um, that was all about, you know, that donor um, interaction and donor stewardship. And we we're able to bring in uh, one of our founded CSMs that uh, particularly focuses on donor stewardship. And she was able to give us some great information. Now, I would love to hear, how do you connect with your donors? What's something that you do with your donors that you're not quite sure if everybody else does it? Or maybe you think everybody else does it and we're gonna find out today that they don't. Hi, this is Julia from Triangle Community Foundation. Um, and I just wanted to make a comment that we used to, um, talk to our, or treat our scholarship donors very, I guess, separately from our other donors, um, from our donor advice fund holders um, and those folks, and we would send them different, you know, mailings or solicitations or what, what have you. 
Um, but last year, um, I did when I before I was staff, I did a research project where I interviewed um, or I surveyed donors, and we found that they actually see themselves as the general donors and want to be included in events that we do for our general for our donor advised fund holders or any other donors. So it seems like they don't see themselves as kind of the special grouping, at least for our donors. So I just wanted to share that. That's great. Yeah, I think that's a great thing. And, you know, when in doubt, ask. And that's such a great point to make, Julia. Thank you for bringing that up because we don't always know exactly what our donors would prefer. Um, so Julia, let me ask a quick follow-up question. Do you still provide them scholarship specific information um, and then on top of that you also provide general information general um, like donor invitations and things like that do you do both or have you transitioned them to more of a general pathway um, I would say we do both um, so we include them in our like donors forums or events that we have for all of our donors um, but we've been trying to do um, a couple events a year, or at least one event for, uh, per year that's um, education-focused. Um, so we'll invite our scholarship donors and maybe some other um, donor-advised fund holders that really care about education. Um, so that's something that we did um, last fall, um, and that went really well, and there was a mix there. So it. it I guess that was still open to other donors, but we did make a more kind of targeted ask because, you know, we know that you provide scholarships. We know that you care about higher education. We want to invite you to this. That's great. Uh, can I ask a question, Elise? Absolutely. On this topic, uh, I wonder how many people do like a video thank you or if anyone does a video thank you from a student like speaking directly to the donor that, that has given them that. Has anyone ever heard of that or seen it? No, no video, but I like the idea. Um, and then maybe you could compile them and then do that at the event that you do for the donors. All those videos of thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm like, maybe that will be a good use at some point. So. Yeah, I, I've seen that done a couple of times, but not as often as you'd think. And I think it's, that's a great thing to bring up, Weston. Mm -hmm. You've got an eye for donor relations. I um I don't have an idea. I have a client who has that idea, and that's what they do. And he's like, it brings tears to people's eyes when they produce that whole video of all of the videos. So, yeah. Mm, I bet. See, clients helping clients. This is what I we're know. Here for I'm today. like, I can't, I can't come up with this. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, lots of cool oh, ideas, right. donors. I think we wrapped up those questions. If you want to move on forward, Elise. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the next section that we want to talk about. With just a couple of minutes left, and maybe this is something that we start the conversation on and we hold it for next week or for next uh, coffee talk. I wish they were weekly. That would be so much fun. Um, how do you continue to get information from students after the award selection? So you have approved a student for an award, and now you need information back from them, what do you do? What is your strategy? Because we all know connecting with the student after the point of saying, we, we are giving you a $5,000 scholarship, it should be easy. 
but sometimes it's not. So what are you doing to connect with students? And I know I saw in the um, in the questions box earlier, people talking a little bit about, you know, some events that they do between donors and students. I think that's a great, um, that's, you know, one great thing to talk about is student-based events hosted by the foundation. Uh, what else do you do though? You know, uh, is it hard? Maybe that was just me. Maybe it's not hard for you to get your students to uh, continue to come back to you. And I really want to encourage you to raise your hand um, to, to actually speak. But if you don't want to, we will read your comments. As far as comments go, uh, mostly staying in touch via email and postcards. And sometimes, if desperate, I have to text. That's from Kelly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, text does tend to get their attention. Um, I love that you do postcards. Do you send those, Kelly, to the students at their schools? Like, what would prompt a postcard being sent out? Um, just to their homes and just to those who are new. So sending them to their home address. Oh, okay. All right. That's great. I, um, I had a colleague years ago who they had a bunch of um, birthday postcards created with the foundation logo, and it was they were kind of scholarship-centric. And they would send those out to all the students on their birthdays, so they would get them to their their school location email. And it was a really neat touch, and it built a lot of um, community. So we have a question from Carol, or a comment from Carol. Yeah, we have a scholarship acceptance document that is required that includes a photo and where the student is going to school. We also do a survey, but it's difficult to keep in touch with these students. Super important to have a permanent email address and not their school email. And we now require this permanent address on their application. More of a statement, yes. Yeah. Oh, and I love that you now send out an email blast for good luck on finals. That's yeah. fantastic. I think that's such a personal touch. I think um, so too. I'm like, yeah, especially, yeah, this marketing, that's beautiful. Absolutely. And they're so much more likely to remember to do their renewal application with you if you have been communicating with them throughout the year. So mm -hmm. awesome. And then, yeah, from Amanda, we roll the recipients into our annual appeal mailings after a few years um, in hopes that, a way, that there's a way for them to return the favor once they're in the workforce. And I know, Amanda, you give scholarships to a lot of nurses and what a great way if they have that experience to then maybe return that favor. So cool. Like, I think this is a concept that all scholarship administrators, like we know there's power in those students that we are sending to college, but staying in contact with them for long enough to turn them into a donor from a recipient is always the challenge. So that's, I think a topic for another day. Uh, I just wanted to share that we have a group of students um, that we call our student advisory committee and they provide guidance to us on um, our applications and they're, they're current recipients of different scholarships. Um, there's about five of them. Um, they've done presentations with us in the community or at conferences. Um, but what we've done um, with them is um, in the, I guess at the end of each semester before finals, um, we sent them like exam care packages 
with like snacks and um, little self-care goodies and a card signed by everyone at the foundation wishing them luck. That is awesome. And that I think would might be difficult to do when you were thinking about doing it for all of our scholarship recipients. But I love that you have this smaller group that is really staying more engaged intentionally on their end with the foundation. And so you really kind of reward that and foster that relationship. That's awesome. I love that idea. Well, I hate to say we've come to an end, but I do believe that we have. So um, this is a great discussion. I am really excited to keep moving forward and do more of these coffee talks. And thank you for your time and all the thought you put in to the conversation. I hope that you learned something from your peers, or at the very least, just were able to recognize that you are you are not alone out there. There are so many of us uh, working at foundations, trying to do good for students in this particular way. Um, so thank you all so much. And on behalf of all of us here at Founded Technologies, thanks for joining us and have a great day. So that was our conversation. We're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Foundant Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk 